let's not even mess around. All right. I know the NBA finals were last night, but let's not even mess around. You know, when Joe Biden ran for president, Joe Biden swore decency is coming back to the White House. Decency, Jill Biden said in a tweet. Vote for decency. Decency is on the ballot. You know, I'm a little blanked off of this. I don't mind you saying decency is on the ballot if you want to go against Trump, who you felt was indecent and lewd. But this is the White House uh, yesterday, day before, on Gay Pride Month. This is what was occurring at the White House. Some clown named Rose Montoya some, I don't even know what you call her. I don't know. Uh, she and others of her transgender slash gay pride ilk are frolicking on the White House lawn naked, got their tits out. I mean, it's insanity. Let's see from this clown, Rose Montoya. Welcome to the White House. Thank you. <laughs> Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Year. Happy Pride Life. Yeah. Transgender children. You are heard. You belong. You are understood. You are loved. And you belong. Yeah. Some of the bravest and most inspiring people I've ever known. And I mean, I you're welcome. Good folks. Can we take a little video? Hi, Mr. President. It is an honor. Trans rights are human rights. Oh, it's a video. Oh, it's a Are we topless at the White House? Yeah, decency. Yeah, let's take our shirt off, let's rub our boobies, and let's say it's decency. Look, happy Pride Month to everybody. Happy Pride Year. Happy Pride Life. I'm all in on that. But don't tell me you're bringing back decency when you got a bunch of freaks going up there and taking off their clothes. Dad, why are they freaks? Because they go to the White House and they take off their clothes. Look, it's just, it's ridiculous, and it's another sign that we've become Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm no prude. Hey, let me explain. If I sat down with some beers and explained to you all the things I've done in my life, you'd be like, holy hell. But I got to tell you, the debauchery, the stupidity is not decency. Yes, celebrate pride. Yes, have some dignity. Yes, at some point, the folks of pride have to have some dignity. There has to be some dignity here. I mean, look, I get it. You're wild, you're crazy, you're free, but you don't need to be taking off your shirt. The one taking off her shirt, rubbing herself, and the other's a transgender girl, guy, I don't know, they cut her tits off. Taking our shirts off, acting like idiots on the lawn of the freaking White House. I mean, that is decency, my ass. I mean, it just pisses me off. I mean, I don't mind. Look, if you say, hey, look, I am going to run for president and I'm going to be the champion of all causes and we're going to be a free and open society and we're going to have nudity on the White House lawn and we're not going to respect the flag and we are not going to care about any of the history and traditions of the United States of America or the majority of people in the United States of America. If you ran for that, then God bless you. It's our fault for voting you, but that's not how you ran. You ran saying there was going to be decency. If you think that's decency, then God bless you. Yeah, sure, it's great. Celebrate gay pride. Celebrate pride, right? Who cares? But the truth of the matter is this. Don't be taking your clothes off on the, on the lawn of the White House and act like you're some group that is above it. You're nasty, mean people. When anybody doesn't agree with you, just stop. And you're rude and you're lewd and you don't bring any dignity to the United States when you do those things. 
Now, maybe I get hate from that. Maybe I'm called transphobic. Maybe I'm called homophobic, but I'm not. I'm just saying, how about a little decency? How about don't ride your bikes naked in your parades? How about don't be over humping somebody in front of little kids with a whip? How about a little bit of decency as you have your pride? It just blanks me off. And Biden is the worst. 80 million people voted for this clown, eight, supposedly. You know they did. You know there was so much fraud going on. And, fr- and frankly, I don't care if you run DeSantis. I don't care if you run Trump. I don't care if you run JFK as a Republican. If you don't figure out how to cheat as a Republican as well as a Democrat, you ain't winning nothing. You saw it in the midterms. But how about one time, just one time in a very public setting as we celebrate pride, which is great. We have a little bit, just a little bit of dignity, little bit. Now, I know that's a lot to ask. You know, I know that, well, we're crazy. Well, we free. Okay, great. But just a little bit of dignity. That's all. I mean, just keep your clothes on at the White House. Have a little respect for people that fought. Well, they fought for us. Yeah, they did. They fought so that you could act like that. There's no question about it. No question. But how about respecting it a little bit? Just a little. It's great. Just, just a little. Hey, I'm not mad at Megan Rapino. Everybody else is mad at Megan Rapino. What are you mad at Megan Rapino for? Megan Rapino says that uh, her girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, whatever the hell she is, uh, it has like, congrats on like, arguably the best career anyone has ever had in the history of any sport ever. Yeah, okay. I mean, obviously, you got to say that. People are mad. People are mad at Megan Rapinoe. What are you mad at Megan Rapinoe for? What's she supposed to say? She's stooping the woman. I mean, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to say? Uh, well, you know, my girlfriend, wife, whatever she is, uh, yeah, had a nice career. No. You're up there. That's your girlfriend. You guys are sleeping together. You're hanging out. It's your soulmate, all that. You're supposed to say People losing their mind on Megan Rapinoe, I just think, don't understand. Hey, look, don't ask me, don't ask me to uh, introduce my wife, Lee. It'll be 30 seconds. It'll be 40 seconds. It'll be an hour on the greatness of Lee Ross. But Megan Rapinoe's getting crushed. Don't be crushing Megan Rapinoe. I mean, crush her for other stuff. Crush her for being mean and nasty and fake and full of crap. Uh, Crusher for not for saying that men should be able to participate against women when she is free and clear. You can crush her for that, but don't crush Megan Rapinoe for saying that her girlfriend isn't the best. I mean, you got to say that. Congrats on like on like uh, like hey. I mean that shows you she's an idiot. Arguably the best career that anyone's ever had in the history of sports. Now, Megan, now, I mean, let's be honest, she has it. Yes, she won four titles. Yay, Rod, go fight, win. But the truth of the matter is uh, she had a great career. She's a great player. But, I mean, come on. I mean, it's not even close to being true, but that's all right. So, of course, Twitter bounced back, right? Twitter went nuts on her. Twitter lost her mind on her, right? Like, like look at these next tweets that we got. Twitter wasn't having it. Jimmy Butler looking at a stat sheet. Megan Rapinoe, 11 points. What was it? 11 points, five rebounds, five assists in the WNBA. Hey, I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it at all. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to say that. You can keep playing all the tweets that we have from people because people just lost their mind on her. What's she supposed to say? 
Yeah, when you're kneeling for racial justice, but your black teammate is standing in respect, you just might be an idiot. Boy, is that true. Well, Megan Rapinoe is just a fraud. We know that. We, when she speaks, we don't listen. You know what I mean? I see Megan Rapinoe is back in the spotlight claiming her wife just might be the greatest athlete in sports history. Uh, you know, Megan Rapinoe states that uh, Sue Bird had the best career in the history of sports. Michael Jordan and Lionel Messi haven't said a word about the issue on account of they are too busy being the actual greatest. Like, what, what's she supposed to say? I'm going to the YouTube chat. What's she supposed to say? Hey, my wife, girlfriend, whatever, I don't know. I don't follow who marries who, not even in the real world, ever since I didn't get People Magazine. When I got People Magazine, I would know who was who. I'll tell you right now. I would know. I would tell you right up front. This person is married to this person. I care so little uh, about Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird, although Sue Bird seems nice. Sue Bird seems nice. Megan Rapinoe's just nasty. You know, Megan Rapinoe's like Ellen. On the surface, all happy with her purple hair, looking like Justin Bieber. And next thing you know, in person, she's just, she's just nasty. Just nasty. And I bet she, never mind. I was going to say something that probably uh, should have been not said. So I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but I was thinking it. Oh, man. All right. Good for you, Megan Rapino. You do you. No problem. Love you. Love you a long time. You got to do it. Look, let's be honest. You guys know this. If anybody knows anything about the Gotti family, you knew this was coming. All right? You had to. You had to know this was coming. You fight John Gotti. How do you, John Gotti the first, John Gotti the second, John Gotti the third, it's going to go all the way into whatever, John Gotti the 29th. It don't matter. If you fight John Gotti and you win and you talk and there's initials next to it, you know what's going to happen. Floyd Mayweather did, and guess what? It came. What came, Dan? The death threats. Remember, Gotti killed a dude that hit his little girl. Killed him. That's what he does. Gotti's kill people. It's what they do. Gotti's don't mess around. Gotti's don't talk. Gotti's don't say. Gotti's kill. As in D-E-A-D. Dead. So you want to get mad about it, good for you, but there's nothing to get mad about because you know when you fight a Gotti, whether it is legit, not legit, in the street, in a ring, in a gym, it don't matter. If you do anything, the Gottis are going to kill you. Then they're going to try to kill you dead. All right, let's read, shall we? Keep that up. John Gotti Jr.'s daughter and John Gotti three sister, Nicolette, had some very choice words for Floyd Mayweather and his family following a fight in subsequent brawl. Look at Nicolette. She's going all old school gangster. Your daughter was ran through by an animal with 12 different baby mamas. Your little circus animal. You're all a pack of zoo animals. I swear on my kids, I'm coming for your daughter. It may be two, three years now from now, but I'm coming. And she dropped the C word on him. Look at Nicolette, baby. I mean, she's getting racist. She's getting stupid. She's getting, damn. She going off on 
Well, looks like Floyd Mayweather's daughter. I don't know what this is all about. I didn't even know Mayweather had a daughter. But all of a sudden, the Gotties are going old school Gotti. They're losing their damn minds. I mean, what are you doing? They're, I assume they're claiming here that Floyd Mayweather's daughter, I don't know how old she is, has had a lot of sex with a lot of different people. How does Gotti's daughter know that? I, is there something I'm missing here? Am I missing this? Is, is this beyond me? Did I not see something in the paper? I try to read everything. But apparently, Gotti's sister, Nicolette, has lost her mind. But you know this is coming. These are two things that I just talked to you that you know are coming, right? You know if you mess with a Gotti, the crazy-ass Gotti, murderous Gotti, ridiculous Gotti family's coming for you. Hell, they may be coming for me for just speaking. And you know if you're going to ask somebody to talk about their girlfriend, their boyfriend, their husband, their wives, they're going to talk in glowing terms about it. Maybe not that hyperbola, but I'll tell you this. Lee Ross, and this is true, you can look this up, had the greatest career of any Mac softball player in the history of Mac softball. Don't at me about it. Don't at me about it. But that's what's happening. So Gotti family are going to kill people. They're going after people's daughters. And, you know, you expect it. It's Gotti world. I'll tell you what else you expect. My beloved Chicago Cubs. I got the text the other day, and it came in from fellow Cub fan Jason Hammertime. Jason Hammer sent this to me about Marcus Stroman, who's pitching lights out this year. My man Jason Hammer said, why do I root for this team anymore? Why do I even bother? Do you know how many times I have had this? Do you know how many times I have said this about the Cubs? So Marcus Stroman's pitching lights out. He takes to Twitter. My agent and I made multiple attempts to engage them, the Cubs, on an extension. Club is an interest in exploring it now. Let's see how it plays out. Love everything about the Cubs. You see his numbers there. He effing wants to stay, said my buddy Hammer. And they are ignoring him. Why do I even bother with this team? Seriously. Why do we even bother, Cub fans? Like, we had a group. We had a group that was right, you know, young and ripe and ready to go like the 85 Bears. And next thing you know, for the love of God, you can't get a win. You can't get another win. You can't, I mean, it all falls apart. And now we got a guy that you bring over who wants to stay. He wants to stay. He wants to be a part of the organization. He wants to pitch for the Cubs. Who the hell wants to pitch for the Cubs other than it's a great ballpark every day? But Marcus Stroman answers that question. But guess what? The Cubs can't do it. They won't do it. They can't do it. And it's amazing to me. It's amazing to everybody. But anyway, I come to expect it. All right, a little bit on last night's NBA. My Serbian brother, Nikolai Jokic, got it done. Here's something I've never seen in an NBA game. Now, we got a great guest list. We got Tommy Lauren. Larry Nelson won the U.S. Open and is a Vietnam vet. He's going to join us. My buddy Seth Greenberg's going to join us at 1030 to talk about the Big Blue Nation imploding and the NBA Finals. But last night in the NBA Finals, I don't think I've ever seen this in an NBA game. I honestly don't. I don't think I've ever seen one team in the NBA play over the top of another team like the Nuggets did to the Heat. Over the top means they were just bigger. They just rebounded higher. They just beat guys to the ball. Michael Porter Jr. was going over guys. 
I mean, Jokic gets you and uses the hands, but he was just so much bigger than Bam out of Bayou, it wasn't even funny. I've never seen that. I got to tell you, when you watch an NBA game nine times out of ten, I seriously, like nine times out of ten, the teams are fairly, fairly, fairly equal in size and height. Rebounding isn't really a deal because, well, they don't normally go to the board hard. There's no real Moses Malone in there anymore crashing. You know what I mean? But the fact of the matter is, man, oh, man, they went over the top. They did things that I've not, I've not seen NBA teams do that. Now, I, maybe I've missed it. Maybe I missed it, but I just haven't. And you know what? Good for them. My Serbian brother, Jokic, got it done. And he talked about what a great team they have. And he's right. See, us Serbs, uh, Serb-Polish, a couple things. One, we don't need Viagra. The wind blows. We're ready to go. Uh, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry if that's gross. It doesn't matter. Uh, we speak our minds, which blanks people off. We speak truths, our truths, which blank people off. Fine. But we are all about team. We all are about teammate. We all are about the collective whole. Always have been. It's how we're raised in Serbian Polish community. It is. My mother, 100% Polish. My father, 100% Serbian. That's how we're raised. Help each other. My grandfather cooked for everybody. My cousins would beat up anybody that messed with me. It was insanity. It was insanity. It's great. It's the best. Nothing better. But the truth of the matter is, that's how we were raised. And damn it, you saw it out of Jokic yesterday. You did. You saw it out of Jokic. Jokic showed you what we are all about, and I am damn proud. Now, what do the racists do? What does Kendrick Perkins and his racist ass do? Were NBA MVP voters allowed to vote for Jokic, or were they racist? You see how stupid the world is? That's why you come here. That's why Danny D is a sanctuary of love, a sanctuary of truth, because that's what we do. But was it okay? I don't know. Hell, who knows? I I don't know. We don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. I do know this. The Nuggets got the championship. Spolster did a great job. And Van Gundy was right. The bit players were doing too much. And then Jimmy Butler stepped up, but it was too little. And it was too late. All right. A couple of things. I got to tell you. This pissed me off. So the Tony Awards were the other day. Have you seen this? So the Tony Awards were the other day. The Tony Awards are the, are the Broadway Awards, like the Academy Awards for plays on Broadway or off-Broadway or whatever, okay? So some little pain-in-the-ass actress gets on stage and calls Ron DeSantis the Grand Wizard of the KKK. I'm telling you, we live in a third world country. When people have so little respect, let's watch the video. And I'm not even going to mention this actress's name because she's inconsequential and stupid. I mean, she's just stupid. If you do something like this, you're just an idiot. Let's hear from some idiot. Earlier tonight, CMU and the Tony Awards presented the 2023 Excellence in Theater Education Award. And while I am certain that the current Grand Wizard, I'm sorry, excuse me, governor of my home state of Florida, will be changing. Oh, isn't that cute? Oh. Oh. I am sure that he will be changing the name of this following town immediately. (laughs) Oh, isn't that cute? Oh, and she got all the little other freaks to sit there and clap. Isn't that so cute? That's so cute. 
Ah, uh, she said like that. That's what I'm telling you. They're all a bunch of freaking idiots. They're all a bunch of phonies. They're all a bunch of la- and then everybody had to clap because if you don't clap for that statement, then well, you're racist or sexist. And of course, African American girl says it, so you gotta clap. I mean, if you stood there and went, "Yeah, you're an idiot. Oh, you're racist." Man, so this idiot can sit there and go, hey, uh, this is the deal. This is the deal. Uh, you know, KKK, Grandmaster, Grand Wizard, really? What, so what? the thing that I love about the far left, and this includes all our little writer friends, is they don't hide it anymore. They used to hide it with that whole, uh, we are inclusive. We are the party of inclusivity. We are the party of kindness. Now they don't even hide it anymore, and that's a good thing. Now we know they are the party of hate. Now we know they are the party of name-calling. Now we know that they are the party of stupidity, and good for them. That's what they do. But at least we know now. I mean, we all knew that the whole Democratic liberal thing was a fraud. Everybody knew that. And they did. Everybody knew that, uh, that the girl that got up there would talk about inclusivity, but if anybody did anything that she didn't like, you know she would be the first to hate. And that's why it came out. So she's a hating person. She got up on national TV and showed the world that she is nothing more but a dirtbag hateful person. And the other dirtbag hateful per- people clapped. Oh, okay. Well, good. I guarantee you with that woman, you could give her, okay, here, get, name me 10 things Ron DeSantis did that makes him eligible to be the grand wizard. Name me, name me five things. She wouldn't know her ass from third base. Seriously, it, it's the way it always is. You know, this little girl gets up there and she's, and then she's, you know, doing her thing, but she couldn't name you five things that to say. She'd probably say the bill was called, uh, don't say gay, which she would be wrong about. But hey, you know what? It is what it is. The level of stupid. That's why you got shows like ours. So you can hear from people that actually have kind of, sort of, maybe a brain and we can move it on forward. Yeah. That's good. We can. We can move it on forward. It is just unbelievable. Look, I've said this forever, and I think you agree with this. Do you agree with this? Here's a simple solution, very simple, to this, to gender sports. If you were born a boy, you play with the boys. If you were born a girl, you play with the girls. What's so hard? I don't know. I, I don't know. I saw a girl transitioning to a boy playing at Yale. Couldn't play dead. Didn't even play in the game. Didn't even matter. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't even know. But the truth of the matter is, what's so hard about that? I'm a boy. Play with a boy. I'm a girl. Play with a girl. I mean, Leah Thomas is a boy. Transitioning to the girls. Compete against the boys. 69% of Americans agree with that. Now, I'll also tell you, that means 31% are idiots. That means 31% are probably afraid to put the actual thing that they think about. 31% probably said, well, you know, if I put this down and I, it's not right, then I, oh, I don't know, I, I, I could be, oh, I don't know, I could be ostracized in an article by Nancy or more. Now, 31% of your idiots, okay? 69%, it's very simple. It's like that whole bathroom law thing. Hey, look, here's the deal. Uh, you want to go pee in the men's room? Just, okay, you got, this is something we got to worry about. Put men's and women's restroom and let's go. I mean, it's amazing the crap we worry about. Can you imagine in the Middle East worrying about this crap? Can you imagine in the Middle East 
Can you imagine in any country other than our ridiculous country worrying about this crap? If you're a boy, play with the boys. If you're a girl, play with the girls. And 69% of people say that birth gender should dictate sports participation. Period. That's it. I don't know what to tell you. And then the other thing is a female cyclist who was defeated by a trans woman said, look, just have a special category. It ain't hard. This stuff is easy. It's why I should run the world. Seriously, I legitimately should run the world and all of the things in it. Because this stuff is simple. It is easy. Very simple. Not hard. Female cyclist defeated by trans woman speaks out after race. I feel a separate category is appropriate. That's it. That's it. You know what I mean? I I don't know. Uh, It's not that hard. Period. It's just not. And I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why you think it is. Put a separate category and let's rock and roll and that's it. You know, uh, and and there you see the tweet there. I mean, look at this guy. I'm competing against women. (laughs) I'm a boy. What kind of dude wants to compete against women? I'm a woman. I'm going to compete. Really? That's what you are? Okay. I'm not mad even a little bit. I think you're absolutely right. Why don't you just have a separate category? It ain't hard. Serious business. Transgender cyclist Austin Killips has won a new, new uh, North Carolina race by a whopping five minutes, prompting the second place finisher to declare that her power was not comparable and suggest a separate category. Look at this guy. Girl, whatever the hell. Yeah, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> Man. Why does every event that trans people are involved with focus on sex and lust? Because they're sick people. Not all, but the ones that are out there going crazy. They're just disgustingly sick people. The ones that are taking their clothes off. Don't, and don't spin my words. The ones that are taking their clothes off on the White House steps are, are full of debauchery, lust, and ridiculous sickness. You don't do that if you have any pride in yourself. You don't do that if you have any dignity. Look at this guy. Yeah, good for you, man. Go go fight, win. Yay. Anyway, all right, Tommy Lauren's going to join us when we come back. The world is a crazy place, and I'm not having it. I am not having it. Last night, I guess, the Dodgers had that pride night. I got to tell you where they honored the sisters of We Hate Everybody. We'll talk to Tommy about that. Uh, Anthony Bass, the guy who defended Bud Light or criticized Bud Light, he got cut. Uh, The Trump indictments came down. You want to see Tommy Lauren? Let's go. Hey, get to YouTube. Tommy Lauren next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this.
You know, I said it earlier, if you voted for that debauchery that was on the White House lawn, which is voting for a, quote, decency, according to Jill Biden and Joe Biden, then you got duped. You got completely duped because that thing was ridiculous. Now, today in federal court, Donald Trump is going to, I guess, turn himself in again to face over 30 charges. Tommy Lauren joins us. Are we the American people getting duped again by this indictment? What's going to happen today, Tommy? And what do you think of the indictment? Well, first of all, I think we all know he's going to plead not guilty. Um, so that's the first thing. But I think that you're going to see because this is Florida. I mean, let's keep in mind, last time this was New York and you had you know a small demonstration. But this time it's Miami. So I don't know what we're going to see in Miami as far as the protesters and the counter protesters. But boy, I guess if I could send a message to my fellow Trump supporters, it would be, hey, listen, you're not going to change the indictment. So don't do anything stupid in Miami today to January 6th yourself, because they will go after you, too. So I, I just want to make sure that Trump supporters are, are very aware of that. It's really not worth having yourself behind bars to try to protest the Trump indictment. Be peaceful. Show your support for Trump. But my goodness, don't do anything stupid. Is this indictment real? I mean, let me ask you a question. If these indictments, if he gets charged with this, the dude can go to jail for a long time, at least the way I look at it. What's going to happen ultimately, do you think? Yeah, he faces, I think, 20 years if convicted of this. But I think this is far less about actually putting him behind bars because that'd be a pretty big stretch for, you know, boxes in the shower at Mar-a-Lago, especially when you've got the precedent set by Hillary and Joe and then Mike Pence. Everybody with classified documents. So I think I don't think we're going to see a Donald Trump behind bars, but I do think that you're going to see just legal battle after legal battle and people are going to get fatigued by all of this. And you're going to see the Democrats really cheerleading because I think, like I've told you before, Dan, I, I think they want to make Trump our nominee. But then I also think they want to do everything they can to sabotage him so he's unelectable. So their strategy, unfortunately, it's an evil genius strategy. I'm hoping it doesn't work, but, you know, he might be facing another indictment in Georgia. So this death by a thousand cuts is their strategy, and it's going to be really, really hard for Trump to overcome all of it. You know, uh, Tommy, is he electable? Like, is DeSantis the more electable guy? You know, I got to be honest, because I told you this before, uh, there's a big difference between electable and popular. And Donald Trump is popular. He is charismatic. He was a great president. He was a great leader. He is a fighter. But at this point, you know, when we're looking at the polling, when you're looking at national polls, you got about half of Americans that do believe Donald Trump should be indicted. So if you've got half of Americans that think the man should be behind bars for 20 years, that's going to be really difficult for us to win a general election with Donald Trump. Now, I'm not going to count the man out because I would never do that. And he's a fighter. If anyone can overcome, it's him. But I do think if we want to get back in that White House, I think you, you work hard to get Ron DeSantis elected. Ron DeSantis will pardon Trump if, in fact, he were to be convicted or he were to face any more of these BS indictments. And then I think that we work on fixing our electoral system. We bring in voter ID. We push for election integrity. We get this country straightened out. I think with a Ron DeSantis in the White House, a Ron DeSantis at the top of our ticket, I think that that's an easier route. And I guess it's just up to us if we want to 
go with something that's more of a sure thing or we want to take a giant gamble on Donald Trump. Am I being an old get-off-my-lawn prude when I say that what happened on the White House lawn this week is ridiculous? People taking their clothes off. We got all kind of debauchery. And Look, here's what I've said, and I'm curious your reaction. If Jill Biden, Joe Biden said, we are running on decency. Decency is on the ballot is an exact tweet from Jill Biden. And then I see what happened the other day. Uh, I don't mind if you run as the candidate for Sodom and Gomorrah. And if we're dumb enough to vote for it, fine. But don't run on decency and do the crap that we saw yesterday. Am I being old, I guess, old white bald guy in this? (laughs) Or am I making a little sense? Well, listen, if we were sitting here arguing about like a Cardi B music video and you were saying that it was indecent, I would say, all right, Dan, you know, this is what people like these days. This is, you know, the new wave of pop culture. But this is the frickin White House. I mean, it it is absolutely disgusting. First, you got Joe Biden putting a trans flag in between two American flags. Then you've got him hosting this event at the White House where people are sitting there with their clothes off, you know, shaking their boobs around. I mean, again, When the left tells you who they are, believe them, because they have been trying to tell us for months now, uh, amongst conservative outcry, that, oh, no, it's just about equality and tolerance. And then they go and put this display in the White House proving us right. So if you want to get acceptance and you want people to be for the LGBTQ movement, probably not the best idea to go and put something that disgusting and abhorrent in front of everybody's faces at the people's house, the white house, because you're not going to change any minds there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, all right. Anthony Bass defended uh, us, I guess, on the picture for the, uh, the Toronto, uh, Toronto blue Jays. He's like, Hey, look, he liked responded positively to a video condemning Bud Light and Target. Now he's cut. What do you make of this? He's cut, and then I got I'm a Catholic. I got anti-Catholic hate groups being celebrated. What the hell is going on here in baseball? Your husband's a baseball guy. What's going on? Well, not only is my husband a baseball guy, but my husband used to play for the Blue Jays, and we are very close with Anthony Bass and his wife, Sydney. So this story is very close to me. You know, I spoke to his wife when this all happened. I mean, she was in absolute shock. But make no bones about it, this is because of his political views. And, you know, if you're going to apply that across the board, that athletes aren't allowed to be political on their personal social media, then you know what? Okay. I still think it was wrong, but okay. But when you're going to allow some people to post their liberal ideologies, to post their anti-American hate, to post their LGBTQ, anti-Trump, whatever, and then you're going to go after this man for sharing a reel to Instagram that simply said that Christians are upset at some of this radical LGBTQ grooming. I mean, it's an absolute abomination. But this is what happens when you're dealing with the front office of baseball teams and worse, the front office of a baseball team based in communist Canada. I mean, the man was never going to get a fair shake. So while I'm happy that he's going to be out of Canada, I'm hoping that there's a good American team with some values, maybe the Texas Rangers. I know that they're you know few and far between, but I'm hoping that they will take a chance on this guy and show that they've got some values and some respect for American free speech and American values. 
Yeah, Tommy, the Texas Rangers are the only ones that have not had a pride night. Good for them. Why, why do I have, Tommy, why do I have to have sex in my baseball or my hockey? Why can't I just go to a game, have ball night, bat night, autograph night, run the bases night? I don't, 10 cent beer night. Well, you can't have 10 cent beer night. People get drunk and throw things. But you know my point. You get my point. Why can't we just have that? Why do I give a damn who's stooping who? Well, that's the thing, because these sports, and not all sports, but I think at least when it comes to baseball and hockey, they're conservative-leaning sports, meaning that the players, majority of the coaches are conservative or conservative-leaning. But then you've got these front offices that are filled with these yuppies, uh, many of them that have never actually played the sport, many of them who just live in their own liberal bubbles. And then you've got liberal sports writers on top of that. And they all exist in this little world where they want to make everything line up with their values and they want to celebrate their values. And they've got some position of power. So they think that they can thrust it upon everybody else. And they view these players as their little pawns. And they know that they've got cancel culture behind them. So that's what they do. They formulate this BS and they make people essentially go out there like circus monkeys and perform for them and their liberal fantasies. And it's disgusting. No, it really is. La- last thing, uh, <laughs> last thing before I let you go, I, you said this, it's obvious Gavin Newsom is going to make a run at the presidency, the governor from California. He showed up on Fox. How'd he do? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Um, I give him credit for coming on Fox News, but I also know that there is no reason for Governor Gavin Newsom to come on Fox News with Sean Hannity unless he was planning to run for president in 2024. There would be no upside for him to do that. There'd be no reason for him to sit down. But what he wants to do is he wants to appeal to independents and he wants to appeal to maybe conservatives that don't like Donald Trump. And he knows the only place he's going to do that is Fox News. So he sat down last night. He lied through his teeth with Sean, but he lied with such conviction and charisma that the man is dangerous. And I tell people this, do not underestimate Gavin Newsom. I know we look at California, we laugh, we think, oh my goodness, how could anybody vote for that to be on a national platform? But I'm telling you, the man is the white Obama. He speaks well. He convinces people of his lies. So be very, very careful. If that man enters the race, and I personally think he will, we're going to have a really tough time. And we shouldn't, but it's the truth. You know, I think you called him greasy or something like that. Whatever you said on Twitter, I'm like, man, that's the perfect description. I don't know what you said, but I'm like, man. Yeah, greasy Gavin Newsom. Yeah, that's what I've called him for years. Yeah, greasy Gavin Newsom. That's what I've called him. I used to live in California. Um, I actually... Gavin Newsom follows me on Twitter, so I hope that he sees uh, every time that I call him Greasy Gavin. I hope he sees every time that I call him out on his BS, because if you haven't lived in California, it's really hard to know this man's trickery, but I have studied him for years, and I consider myself a personal expert on Greasy Gavin Newsom, so I just want to warn everybody, this man is dangerous, and I hope your audience was listening, Dan. I'm guaranteed they are. When you speak, people listen. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate you. Thanks. I know you got to run. Thanks. Thank you. Have, have a wonderful day, Dan. Thank you. That's, you too. Uh, best to your husband. I like her husband. I think her husband's great. Uh, all right, there you go. Hey, did you know this? The resident idiot of the NBA. 
uh, by the name of Kendrick Perkins. Now, let's be honest. He is the resident idiot. I know you're not allowed to say that, but hey, I said it. What are you going to do? But the resident idiot of the NBA, Kendrick Perkins, said this before the series. Denver hasn't seen a team quite like the Miami Heat. We don't give the Miami Heat enough credit for all the misdirection, multiple actions. Yeah, they certainly did. Um, Listen to this story. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I get that it is all about money and the sex. I get it. Who doesn't get that? When anything goes down, whenever I see a teacher fired unexpectedly, I think they stole something or they had the sex, right? But I never thought this. Like those of you that pay attention to me and have over the years, I will always tell you there's always a backstory, usually about money, usually about sex, possibly about both. Listen to this story. A flight attendant, allegedly, we're going to say allegedly because we got to say allegedly, a flight attendant made bomb threat to ground her ex and his new lover. This is where we're headed, right here, ladies and gentlemen. So it, when I tell, now I will tell you this, you guys know, I think everything has a backstory. I think everything. But I will tell you, grounding an airplane, I never thought would have this kind of backstory. I mean, look, that's real love, isn't it? I mean, don't we got to chalk that up to, man, that woman, that man, that's real love. No, this is insanity. And we all talk about mental health, right? We all say mental health this, mental health that. We got to do better for mental health. All right, we got to do better for mental health. I agree, we must. But we got to address what is mental health first. Going to the White House and taking your clothes off, that's mental health. You got a mental health issue. You're out of your mind. A flight attendant making a bomb threat because she is jealous. Look, you got to get that woman some help. Serious. Allegedly, I want to say allegedly, this happened in Argentina's National Airline, made a bomb threat to prevent her ex-husband and his new lover, both also crew members, from being able to fly together to Miami. Daniela Cabone is a flight attendant for Aerolinas Argentinianas, was arrested on May 21st, after she allegedly used her daughter's cell phone to send a threat using voice distortion software. Tell the captain that we planted three bombs in Miami. Stop effing with politics and check the plane because they are going to fly into 100 pieces. 270 passengers, 12 crew members were evacuated by this crazy-lipped Argentinian. Now that, is that love? Is that mental health? See, again, people always want to say, what is it? well, mental health, we got mental health issues in the United States. Okay, well, what is the mental health? You're seeing it right there, ladies and gentlemen. There's your mental health issue. Look, I've been in love. I've been dumped. I've been sad. When I get sad, I eat 17 dreamsicles. I've told you the story. A box of 24, Lee dumped me. I'm like, ah, oh, man. I'm sitting watching the Cubs on a nice day about this time of year, and I'm sitting there eating dreamsicles. I get to 17. I'm like, what are you doing, pig? Go out. Go running. Go do something. So I did. Got over it. I'm calling a bomb threat. (laughs) Gritty, I got to tell you. So I got to ask a question. Is that love or is that crazy? I think that's crazy. (laughs) Danny, 
I think that's love. Well, you're nuts. Don't date. If any woman said, yes, who's your daddy? She looks psycho. She looks crazy. Sleep with her with one eye open. Look, or don't sleep with her. Better yet, say, hey, honey, let me get you home. Hey, let me call you a cab. Hey, let me get you an Uber. Go, 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 go. Let me get you to the airport. Look at this. She's got those dead eyes. Eyes tell the story. Look at those eyes. Those eyes say, oh, I'll kill you. Those lips say, I'm trying. Those lips say, I'm trying. I'm trying. Indiana fans remember Fred Van Vliet. You know who Fred Van Vliet is? He was a player at Wichita State that whooped up on Indiana. I think he whooped up on Indiana. This dude who came out of college undrafted, nobody cared about him, just turned down 20 Two million. The NBA free agency market has started, and the first domino to fall is Fred Van Vliet. Like, if Fred Van Vliet comes to your team, are you like going, oh man, we got Fred Van Vliet? $22.8 million, almost $2 million a month. And this dude turned it down, and I will say good for you because, as the great Tommy Lawrence says, Got to get your ass out of Canada. Seriously. You got to get out of Canada. You do. Why would you stay in Canada? Nobody wants to stay in Canada. I don't want to stay in Canada. Who wants to stay in Canada? All right, I got to go give a speech today. I'm giving a speech over uh, to a group of CEOs in the back of uh, the District Tap on 82nd Street. And one of the things they want me to talk about and this is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, is the NCAA collectives. Well, Deion Sanders had something to say about it. Deion Sanders said what Urban Meyer said. Urban Meyer said, look, there's a difference between paying players to come to your school and name, image, and likeness. Deion Sanders has become the voice, and God bless Deion Sanders. So Deion Sanders put him on blast. He said, look, I want guys focusing on getting that bag from the NFL. I want guys focusing on playing great here so they can get a name, image, and likeness deal. Collectives are the problem. Indiana's got a great collective, so Indiana fans, you ought to like the collective because those guys at the Hoosier Hysterics are getting money, and when Woodson needs more money, he goes to him, he says, hey, this is a true story. Hey, go get Jalen Hood Shafino another $100,000 if people need another hundred k Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's not what it was entitled for. It was, hey, look, Trace Jackson Davis is a great player. We're going to get him a card deal. We're going to get him a deal. Right, that's what it was for, not this other nonsense. But, hey, I digress. What are you going to do? But the fact of the matter is Deion Sanders calling it out is awesome because he's right. He's absolutely right. See, if Deion Sanders calls it out, then people will go, all right. If uh, Whitey McWhitey calls it out, uh, uh, Nick Saban, People are saying, well, he's just bitter. Nah, Dion's got that cool. Dion's got that, he's got that vibe. Dion's got that fatherly, tough uh, presence. So good for him. He should call it out. Nobody wants pay for play except for the players and a couple of journalists. No, good. He called it out. What in the hell would you do? Boys, uh, Dylan, Nick, show the video of the bear. That's all I'm going to say. Show the video of the bear in the water. 
What would you do if you were here? I'm watching this video. We're going to show it to you in a second. I'm watching this video and I'm thinking to myself, holy crap. I ain't doing what these guys are doing. Let's show the video and watch the people. Look at this. You're standing there? Now the bear leaves. Stop, don't get in my way. There it is. Now, why is that guy standing there? Oh, my God. I'm getting the hell out of there. And what's a bear doing in the water? Somebody explain it to me. What is a bear doing hanging out in the water? <laughs> in the water? Like, I got to tell you, all right. You go in. One time, Lee and I were on our honeymoon, and we were, where were we? St. John's, and there were some little sharks, and we still went in, which was stupid, all right? But how does a bear possibly get into the water in Destin, Florida, on the beach? I don't know. I've seen things in the water. I've seen big catfish. I've seen shrimp. I've seen whatever. I've seen them smelt, if you're from northwest Indiana. But you tell me. How the hell does a bear get into the water? Of all the things, animals, take the animal kingdom, of all the things that you thought you might see, a bear? Mm. All right, I like this idea, ladies and gentlemen. I like it. I like it a lot. The Oakland A's fans are having a reverse. Look at this thing. Now, my friend, my wife's friend, Jamie, lives in Destin. and she's not here, I would ask. But I got to ask you. Of all the things that you think you might see, is a bear really one of them? Is a bear anything that you think, well, you know what? Uh, I think that I might see this. All right, I got to get into a couple of other things. I got to get into a couple other things that this is really stupid. A Florida man, Dr. James DeTore, has finally surfaced after breaking the world record for spending 100 straight nights underwater. 100 straight nights under freaking water. Now, I can't spend, and I'll try to do it. I'll try to do 100 days not drinking alcohol. I'm on day three. I'll try to do 100 days not eating snacks. I'm on day three because I got to lose weight. And I think those two are crushing my soul. But I got to tell you, this dude, he's after broke a wreck 100 days underwater. The question then becomes why? And the reason is this guy wanted to know what it was like to live underwater. This guy wanted to know what it was like for everybody, for the, for the animal kingdom, for the underwater animal kingdom. And I say, God bless him. I say, God bless him. Good for you. And I don't want to do it. I honestly don't want to do it. Man, the world is insane. Uh, you think, you think that, let me ask you guys, I'm going to YouTube chat right here. Let me ask you a question. So you got all this stuff going on. 
You got a guy that says on the Senate floor that they have recordings, 15 of them, that Joe Biden took bribes. All right? Okay. Suddenly, Joe Biden has a two-day root canal. A two-day root canal. After, on this guy Grassley said on the floor of the Congress that, hey, look, the whistleblower in the bribery case of Ukraine with Hunter Biden, with Joe Biden, has recorded the conversations. Suddenly, a two-day root canal. My brother just had two root canals in one day yesterday. What did he do? He stayed at my sister's house, took a nap, and as he was driving home yesterday, we had a conversation. Our president, I don't know, two-day root canal because apparently he eats like a child. Well, he is a child. Ch- children lie. Children don't know their backside from third base. So the dude is a child. What are you talking about? Of course, he's a child. But a two-day, you're going to buy that? A two-day root canal? See, I think everything has a backstory. I think everything is suspicious. I think everything needs to be discussed. And a two-day root canal, my ass. Ah, let me go back to the bear. That bear was just trying to get a swim in, says Sean Black. Bears like fish, says Ruel Miller. Ah, Dan, he's working on his tan. We had a bear swim and get on the dock last summer here at the lake. It got my attention. But let me ask you this. Okay, bears like fish. But are bears going in the ocean? Like, of all the things, if I'm swimming and a bear walks up to me in the ocean, I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to be like, what the hell is going on here? What are we doing? Like, I never thought I'd see that. But all of a sudden, I'm seeing that. No, 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 no. No, I refuse. All right, you got to subscribe and you got to like. Let's go. I do a bad job of asking for subscribers and asking for likes. We got to have, we got to pound the like button. Pound, a pound, a pound. Hey, back in the day, Larry Nelson was one of the great golfers in the country. He won the U.S. Open, but he's more than that. Larry Nelson is a Vietnam vet. Larry Nelson, I, hey, look, Larry Nelson in the white hat was one of those dudes that was always in contention. Always. I mean, always in contention in the whatever tournament. Whatever freaking tournament. Larry Nelson was a great golfer, but Larry Nelson a better human being. And it's U.S. Open Week. And I want to get Larry Nelson's take on a couple of things. One, I want to get Larry Nelson's take on what's going on here with Live Golf. Two, I want to see who he likes as a golfer. And three, as a Vietnam vet, I'd like to know what the hell he thinks of the state of our country. Seriously. He won 19 times on the PGA Tour. Not 10 times on the PGA Tour, excuse me. He won the PGA Championship twice. He won the U.S. Open. Larry Nelson was a bad man, is a bad man. And he fought in Vietnam. Can you imagine asking any professional athletes or any guys on OutKick to go fight in Vietnam? Let me tell you something. I'd be wearing my adult diaper, size triple X. I would. Because I'd need a little help when I was peeing and pooping down my leg. But Larry Nelson's a man's man. I just talk like a man's man. I got nothing. I'm 60 years old, a fat and bald. You ask me to go somewhere, I'd be like, whoa, 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 okay. Larry Nelson's a dude. Can't wait. I love talking to dudes. I love talking to smart women and men that are dudes. 
be right back with the dude, Larry Nelson. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. You know, I've told you this on this show. I love talking to women that are really smart. I do. I, it's just my thing. My wife, my mother, my sister, my daughter, I mean, stepdaughter, everybody. And I love talking to real men, like dudes. And Larry Nelson is absolutely that. Vietnam vet, two-time PGA champ, U.S. Open champ. I, I got to get right into this, Mr. Nelson. Um, I think this is unfathomable for people right now to understand but you went to Vietnam, then came back and won all these things. Walk me through how that whole thing worked for you. Well, I didn't play golf before I was drafted into the Army and um, had a friend uh, that I went through basic training with, and um, he loved playing golf. And so he talked about it all the time. And uh, so when I got back from Vietnam, I loved baseball, and they asked me to pitch in this city team, and I hurt my arm pitching, and so it was something I couldn't do anymore. And um, so I only had one subject to finish school uh, to get my pre-engineering degree. And it was over at nine o'clock in the morning. And I didn't have anything to do from nine until six when my wife got home. And what better to fill up eight, to 10 hours, play golf. And so I actually started. I was uh, she uh, my wife actually bought me a set of clubs uh, December 1969. And I started playing uh, in 1970 uh, and got good really quick and actually qualified for the tour in 1973. That's unbelievable. Uh, seriously, that's unbelievable. You hear now guys starting at four years old and they're on tours at eight and all that kind of stuff. When did you know, like, this fits me? Golf just, it just works for me. Uh, probably not until 1979 when I actually won. Um, up to that point, I thought, well, maybe this will be a good way for me to make a living. Uh, it always worked. It worked all my life. And um, so I really didn't know um, that I was as good as some of these guys uh, that until I actually won at Inverary in 1979. And I think that kind of got me kicked off <laughs> in a good direction. And I finally decided, you know, maybe I can make a career out of this. Have you, are you surprised at how golf has exploded? And what are you, what is your opinion on this whole live golf PGA term mer merger? You know, I'm like you, I guess I just have heard interviews and read some stuff on it. Um, 
I, I served on the policy board uh, two terms uh, back in the 70s. Uh, so I kind of know how the tour policy board works. Um, and I do have a lot of respect for Monaghan. Um, I, I, I really think that there are a lot of things we don't know. Um, and there's probably a lot of things that are said that probably is not correct. But uh, I have a lot of confidence, basically, in the commissioner and uh, the PGA Tour Policy Board. I think the decision that comes after they look at all the information, they will have a feeling that it's best for the game and best for the PGA Tour. You were honored recently and called an American hero at the Memorial Golf Tournament, man. Um, how thrilling is that for you? Someone like Jack Nicholas at his tournament does that? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. He called me actually during the Memorial Tournament in 2022, and they were deciding who would be the honoree uh, in 2023. And so Jack calls me and he says, uh, Larry, I just got a question to ask you. I said, uh, uh, would you consider being the 2023 honoree? Um, <laughs> and so when Jack asks you something, you know, you've got to you respond uh, pretty well. And um, you know, I told him, I said, listen, I'd be honored to do that. And, uh, as the events, the event this year drew closer, um, I, I was a little bit more emotional. I was actually emotional when he called that, uh, they would want me to be the honoree. But, uh, after, you know, seeing everything, when I got up to the memorial, um, the, all the people that are on his wall up there, um, and to have my, um, face and information next to all these guys um, was really amazing. I, 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 all I could say, it was, it was just a very emotional time. Larry, U.S. Open this week, you won it at Oakmont, one of the great courses in America, one of the historic courses. What are your memories of 1983 winning the Open? Dan, it's kind of funny. Uh, I got up there and I was not playing very well. I had not had a very good year up to that point, And I was really trying to find something. Uh, and of course at Oakmont, it'll eat you alive if you haven't found something or if you're not playing really well. Uh, and the bad thing about it is the airlines uh, didn't get my clubs up to me the same time I got up there. They <laughs> got there a day and a half later. So I didn't, didn't have my clubs to actually hit balls with or play a practice round, but, the good thing was um, the pro shop had a putter, the same type of putter that I used, and they let me borrow it. So I just putted for a day and a half, basically. And what it ended up being uh, was the best thing that could happen to me. And I remember Jack does with his putter, um, and I just putted. And I remembered something that Nicholas told me. Uh, he just said that he, you know, didn't put the putter on the ground. He actually hovered it over the green. Um, and so I tried that and actually did it for a day and a half and um, started putting really pretty well. But my ball striking wasn't quite what it was, you know, supposed to be because my clubs got there late. Um, so it wasn't until kind of the last nine holes on Friday that I kind of figured something out. And um, I, it, looking down the fairways at Oakmont, all you could see was the bunkers and the six-inch rough and all that kind of stuff. And I got tense every time before I drew the club back. And so I decided to do another thing that Jack said he did, was just pick out a spot eight to uh, six inches in front of the ball and line up to that spot. And what I decided to do was not look back down the fairway. And uh, 
So after doing that for a day or so, I got very confident in it. And I only missed, I think, one green the last 36 holes and um, actually could putt from where I missed it. So I hit the ball really well the last 36 holes and ended up shooting 65, 67 and uh, ended up winning the Open that year. Larry, who do you like watching now? Who, who, who do you see on the PGA Tour? Maybe that reminds you of yourself. Who do you enjoy? You know, it's funny, uh, Dan. I, I have been watching a lot of golf tournaments. Uh, I, I still enjoy watching it. I'm not still <laughs> enjoy playing it as much as I used to, but I enjoy watching. And, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a lull uh, after Palmer and Nicholas and Trevino and all those guys stopped playing. And then Tiger came out, and it was an uptick in golf but it was pretty much all focused on Tiger. You didn't get to hear much about some of the other young players or whoever it was. And then all of a sudden, these young players started coming up, the Spiefs, the Roms, the Schefflers, the Rory, uh, Day, Homa. I mean, all these guys. And, and they're fun to watch because they really um, seem to – um, know the history of the game, and they really appreciate uh, the fans that are out there. The, I think they know, um, you know, what made them who they are uh, today. Larry, I want to go back to Vietnam. You were an infantry leader. I assume you got drafted, correct? Uh, yes, I got drafted. I got my draft notice 10 days after my 19th birthday and had to report 10 days later. So I was in basic training. Uh, in Fort Hood, Texas, 20 days after my 19th birthday. And um, we were trained. I went through basic, advanced infantry training, basic unit training, all the training that you could actually take to go to Vietnam. And so I trained actually for 18 months uh, and um, then actually led a team over in Vietnam, an infantry, infantry unit. What do you remember about that? Uh <laughs> I remember I was always happy when the sun came up every morning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, was happy that um, you know I had some good people around me. Um, I had, um, you know, we we spent uh, the majority of my time out in the field, um, and then we would come home, come back to base camp for a couple of days, and. And then we'd get back on a helicopter and they'd take us somewhere we didn't know where we were going um, and really didn't have any information about what we were going to get into once we got there. Um, so I think, you know, you live, um, you know, really at a high heart rate, I guess, uh, the whole time, because you never know what's going to happen around the next corner, uh, across the next rice paddy or anything like that. So, we expected uh, to have confrontation pretty much every day. And uh, for the most part, um, that came true. Man, Larry, what's it like for a 19-year-old to go, you take all the training, and training, I'm, I'm just guessing here, training gets you ready, but it's, it's not actually being in the plane flying over. What's, what's it like for a 19-year-old in a plane flying into a war? Yeah, we, uh, first thing I remember is that we left, uh, we actually drove, or they bust us from Austin, uh, from Fort Hood, Texas, down to Austin, Texas, to get on an airplane to go to Vietnam. Our first stop was Anchorage, Alaska. So we go from Austin, uh, this is uh, kind of the first of, right around in February, 
uh, and it was cold in Austin. We landed in Anchorage and it was 31 degrees or whatever. So we were able to get out of the airplane and walk out. We land in Vietnam and it had to be 120 degrees. I don't know what it was, but humidity. I mean, that's the first thing I can remember is when I stepped off the airplane, I said, I cannot believe it is this hot. Um, and I grew up in Georgia. So, um, you know, we were, we experienced hot summers. So, but this was, this was just unbelievable. And so, yeah, I said, well, I'm going to have to do stuff in this weather. And um, so it was pretty much, you just had to make sure that you drank as much as you could. But a lot of the water that we'd get was out of the rice paddies or places we didn't know. And they gave us quinine tablets that we could put in uh, to the canteen to kind of kill whatever was in there. And my wife would send me Kool-Aid um, and I would get that every once in a while. And you could add that to the water to, I guess, get rid of the taste of, you know, whatever it was. But yeah, there a lot of things, leeches, snakes, you know, there, there are things that you don't worry about necessarily, but you come in contact with. Larry, when, when you come back and you start golfing and, and you start playing, I, I, my, my brain works this way. Nothing's going to phase you. Like a sand trap isn't going to phase you or a crowd isn't going to phase you. But golf is such an individual game. What did phase you when you came back? Uh, I, when I came back, when I learned how to play, I learned how to play on the golf course. It didn't have a lot of bunkers, a lot of sand traps. Um, and uh, before I qualified for the tour, I never played on any grass other than Bermuda. So it was a whole new world for me. I mean, I went up to Chicago and played the first year I played up there, uh, and they had bluegrass fairways and I didn't even know what a flyer was until I got to Chicago. Uh, so you're talking about on the job training. I mean, that's, that's what my tour life was. I was trying to learn something to do or learn how to do something pretty much every day. And, but I read Ben Hogan's book is five fundamentals, modern golf. And that's how I learned how to play just going through, you know, the first step, second step, third step, being a math major. Um, that's kind of how I was, how I was prone to learn, just do this before you can do this. And so that's how I learned the swing. But, um, I mean, Ben Hogan said you can learn to swing in six months, but it may take you the rest of your life to learn how to play. And uh, <laughs> so I was trying to learn how to play really pretty quick. So, Man, I, I, I'm fascinated by it, Larry. All right, last thing before I let you go. They say the U.S. Open, toughest track. Um, always has been that way, correct? I mean, I remember as a kid, not as a kid, I was a college student watching you guys and the rough was up there. And I think, I could be wrong, was it? No, I think it was 84 or 85, T.C. Chin hit the ball twice out of the rough. Maybe it was in the U.S. So how difficult is it to play the U.S. Open as compared to other places? Well, I think, you know, for the majority, I think there was a few years back, four or five years, five years ago, where they didn't grow the rough quite as much. They just made the golf course longer. Um, but the golf course is like Marion. Uh, the only defense, you know, basically is high rough. And um, I really appreciate them going back to the fact that they got the rough up. So uh, you can't just drive it, you know, 400 yards and have a good lie in the rough. I mean, now... And I saw some pictures of the rough uh, out at L.A., and it looks like the ball just goes straight to the ground, makes this little tunnel. 
so the rough is going to be tough, and it's going to be tough for everyone. So I really I enjoyed the the U.S. Opens because you had to hit fairways. It counted just as much as a putt. And uh, so I think this week that's what we're going to see. I can't thank you enough. It's been an honor to talk to you, sir. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate you. Congratulations on the honor over at uh, Memorial and everything you've done for our country and for the game of golf. Dan, thank you. It's always good to talk to you, and uh, sorry about the little glitch earlier. Uh, no problem. You kidding me? That's a thrill. Thank you. That's Larry Nelson. How about that? Picked up golf at 22 after a tour in Vietnam. Ends up winning not one, not two, but three majors, 19 tournaments all across the world. It's an amazing story. It really is. Jack Nicholas, good for him for honoring Mr. Nelson with his uh, memorial with his chat. And, and that's one of the great things about Jack Nicholas. I mean, Jack Nicholas's memorial tournament, it honors the greats of the game. And Larry Nelson was absolutely not only a great of the game, but as Jack Nicholas said, this man, this man, ladies and gentlemen, is an American hero. He is. And I love bringing those stories to you because, again, you know, I'm older now, but when I was a kid, Larry Nelson was in every week. Hale Irwin, Larry Nelson. I mean, you know, you had Nicholas, who was always considered the greatest, but Larry Nelson, I swear to God, every time I turned on my television and my dad and I would on Sundays, maybe we went and played in the morning, and then we would watch in the afternoon, Larry Nelson was hitting the ball right down the fairway. And I just became a fan because I read way, way back, and I remember reading about Mr. Nelson, how he was a Vietnam vet, and man, oh man, I'm thinking to myself, wow. See, in this day and age, we don't understand that. Ted Williams lost a year of his career fighting, uh, being a fighter pilot. How about that? Willie May, uh, different guys went to the service. Joe DiMaggio went to the service. I mean, these are American heroes. Now we got guys turning, turning down $22.8 million contracts, and we think they're heroic for doing it. These are real American heroes. And you can go back and look, and I guarantee you, your favorite player from the day did some type of military service. That is so foreign to us. I remember the day I had to go enlist. Now, I'm 60 years old, and I came just after the draft. My next-door neighbor had to go. Two neighbors down the street went, and one neighbor uh, went to Canada. I remember his brother and sister on the bus crying. I'm like, what's going on? They said, well, Zach left for Canada. I go, what do you, you know, I was a kid. What did he leave for Canada for? Well, he's dodging the draft. And I said, isn't that bad? And they're like, well, you know, it's, what are they going to do? They're, we're all like 12 years old. We don't know nothing from nothing. But I'm telling you, these folks are American heroes. Do a little history on the great athletes from the 70s and 80s, and that's what you're going to find, guys like Larry Nelson. You see a guy winning a tournament, learn his story, man. It's absolutely great. It is. It's absolutely freaking great. And to win it at Oakmont, Oakmont, I've played Oakmont a couple times. My God, is that a difficult course. Daniel C. says, Dockage looks like a thumb. Yeah, I'm not a handsome man. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? Okay, I'm not a handsome man. I look like a thumb. I, you know, I don't know. But anyway, Seth Greenberg's going to join us at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to talk about last night's Denver Nuggets. Uh, I am Serbian. I'm very proud of our Serbian people. Nikolai Jokic, I'm very proud of him. Uh, Novak Djokovic won the French Open. Hey, look, my Serbian brothers, and they partied, man. They looked like they were having a great time yesterday in not only the hotel, but all around. And last night, Jimmy Butler went off. I think he had 13 straight points in the fourth quarter. That's doing what you're supposed to do, but they just didn't have enough. They just absolutely did not have enough. Dan, can I get paired with Mr. Nelson at the golf outing? I'm going to try. Shoot. 
Great job, Nick. I, I Look, I don't know. I, I know we're all supposed to be about clicks. I know we're all supposed to be about likes. I know we're all supposed to be about subscriptions. But I love talking to people like Mr. Nelson. I love talking to smart, tough-ass women. And I love talking to real, real dudes. Real dudes. I mean, there's a lot going on in the world of sports. And there's a lot of crap going on in the world of sports. But you get a chance to talk to a dude, an actual dude like that, yeah, Hey, Dan, are you sure? Are the Texas Rangers the only Major League Baseball team that is not having a Pride Night? Yes. And I got nothing bad about Pride Night. I ain't mad about Pride Night. I have a Pride Night. I just don't understand why it has to be a thing. I just don't understand why anybody is shamed for not participating in it as a player. I signed up to play for the Cubs. I got to tell you, I want to play for the Cubs. I want to play for Pride Night. I don't want to play for Heterosexual Night. Imagine fighting for this country. So, so you can have some drag shows in Pride Month. Well, uh, military guys will tell you that's why they fight for the country. Military guys will tell you that's why they fight for our nation so that we can have drag shows. But imagine this. Imagine being the president of the United States, having the White House, the people's house, and thinking that it's a good idea to go against the flag code where you put a gay pride flag in the middle of American flag. American flag in the United States flanks nothing. American flags in the middle, other things flank them. But this is a war on us. This is a war on us as people. It's a war on our children, and I don't understand it. I don't understand how anybody like Joe Biden, uh, Nancy Pelosi, and the rest don't get that this is the greatest country with the greatest system in the world. Sure, there's problems, but how do you not understand this? And what are you doing, and why are you coming at our kids? I'll never understand it, and I will continue and on this program to discuss it. Here's the world we live in. Here's what we should be worried about. Nine were wounded in shootings last night in Denver. About 2.20, three and a half hours after the game, some idiot goes in and they start shooting. Now, why do you got to start shooting? Tell it. Why do you got to start shooting? I mean, why? I mean, you tell me. I don't know. I have no idea why we got to start shooting, but apparently we got to start shooting. Apparently shooting up is the thing to do. Well, let me explain it to you. One, you can talk about guns all you want. If you want to get rid of guns, get rid of guns. That's fine. Two, why are we attacking the nuclear family when every study says that a mother and a father, the biological mother and a father, give a kid the best chance to grow up as a decent human being? Why are we celebrating anything other than that? What if we had nuclear family month? What if we had Nuclear Family Day? What if we stopped the division? What if we stopped saying, well, you know, a gay person can get married and then get kicked out of a restaurant. Name me, show me one story in the last five years where a gay person got kicked out of a restaurant. I'll show you stories where somebody on the right got heckled at restaurants and kicked out, Sarah Huckabee. I'll show you all kinds of stories on that, but quit lying to us. Quit freaking lying to us. No reason to lie to us. How about we work on the stuff that we need to work on? Nine people shot yesterday. Shot! Because why? The Denver Nuggets win the freaking NFL or NBA playoffs? We don't worry about that. We worry about transgender. We worry about deflections. We deflect. I got to tell you, I love talking to dudes. Seth Greenberg, a dude. Larry Nelson, a dude. I didn't know Larry Nelson until I started researching him. I didn't know Larry Nelson won three, not one, not two, but three major championships and didn't pick the game of golf up until, until he got done with Vietnam. And even then his wife got him clubs and a three iron, a five iron, a seven iron, a nine iron. 
Like, I, I'm old enough to remember when you got a set of clubs, uh, usually a hand-me-down, and you got these clubs called Northwesterns. It usually had a driver and maybe a four-wood. And then it had a three, a five, a seven, a nine. It didn't have 15 wedges. You didn't have uh, four irons, five, seven woods. You didn't have any of that crap. And Larry Nelson picked that up and then won the freaking U.S. Open in 83 and won two PGAs. That's a man's man. Speaking of a man's man, we'll be right back. Seth Greenberg is going to join us. Look, Seth Greenberg's making sense. First, he's one of the only guys I want to talk to you about hoops, what actually happened in the NBA playoffs. And two, the world of Kentucky basketball has lost its freaking mind on John Calipari. Thank God Seth is here to bring some sanity, which is never going to happen in the Big Blue Nation. We know that. The Big Blue Nation is whacked out insane nuts. But at least from a coaching standpoint, Seth giving us some sanity. The great Seth Greenberg next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Yeah, I tell you, there are only certain people that I really like talking ball with. I'll nod my head to some, but let's get talking ball with the great Seth Greenberg. My Serbian brother, Nikolai Jokic, got it done yesterday. Oof. What a great week for Serbia. Novak Jokovic wins. Uh, we get a Serbian to coach the uh, Raptors, and of course, Jokovic. Look, Jokic is unique. What do you see when you watch him play? He's the most unique player in, in, in the NBA. I see a guy who knows how to play, who's comfortable, you know, doing the things he does, who's who's different than everyone else. I don't, I don't think people talk him enough about what he does defensively. I mean, think about the number of hands he gets on balls on, when he plays his inside hand down on all those semi-drop coverages. He's not way back where people just snake him and go. He's up high enough where he can use his size and his length. But I'll tell you what, to me, the, the best thing about it was, do you know, and I, I watched it again this morning, he accepts the MVP trophy and never mentions himself in the whole speech not one time not one time all he did was talk about his coach his teammates his organization and his family like who does that i mean like to me and i'll tell you the other thing that i learned from the nba finals and I, you know what all these coaches that are afraid to coach their teams that are afraid to demand to their teams or afraid to what I call straight talk, should learn from Mike Malone and Eric Spolstra. Because those guys coach their teams. And there's a standard, and they demand of their teams. And they challenge their teams. And you know what? Their players respond because they know they care. Now, you got to invest in relationships. There's no doubt about it. But you know what? Don't be afraid to coach your team. I don't care what sport it is. I don't care what level it is. The standard is the standard. And... Like, people, oh, my God, Mike Malone, look what he did. You know, after game two, he called out his players. He told the truth. He told the truth. And he held them accountable to look in the mirror and be better. Then he showed them video of and made them explain to him what, why, and how that happened. What is wrong with that? Eric Spolstra, demanding, setting a standard, an expectation. All right. What is like, like to me, 
That's the greatest lesson. All the college coaches that are worrying about guys transferring, take a page out of these two guys. If you're worried about a guy transferring and you're not going to coach him, that guy's not helping you win anything. So, like, to me – That's exactly right. Two good teams. Fun to watch. How physical was that Was that game? That's the other thing. Mm. For all the college guys that talk about, oh, the college game's so much more physical than the – please, stop. I mean, that game was competitive basketball. Great. It was great. How good was the Denver defense in the last five minutes? I mean, how, how about the different guys stepping up and making plays? Whether it's Brown, whether it was Porter, uh, rebound, even though he couldn't make a shot, rebounded, you finally made a big three. Whether it was, you know, Murray and the growth of his game. I mean, it, you know, to me, look, I, I had a watching that, I could have watched that all night. You know, I said it earlier, Seth, it was the most fun game for me to watch for a lot of reasons, but one of them was, I, and I don't know, you know, it's, it's like that Supreme Court justice said about pornography. I, I know it when I see it, but I can't define it. Um, I, 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 watching the referees last night, it was a great referee game, but I really can't define it. Like, you know, I, 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 no, they didn't make, you know, they didn't take no ticky tack. Guys were playing. There was a bit chaotic, which is good. It doesn't, basketball doesn't have to be slow with everybody running a ball screen. Let's get it chaotic. And I thought it was really a well officiated game from my stamp, from my viewing standpoint, Seth. Well, I'll tell you what it was. They didn't deviate. So they, they went in there saying these two, uh, Miami's trying to get back in this game. They're going to be physical. They're going to be tough. We're going to let both teams play that way. They didn't deviate. They didn't change in the middle of the game the way the game was being officiated. So you knew what to expect. And that's all you want as a player and a coach, right? Right? What are the rules of engagement? That's it. Engagement were this was going to be a grown man's game. You put your big boy pants on and compete. And if you're going to, you know, if you're, if you're going to be in a crowd, you're going to get hit. If you're going to make a cut, you're going to get hit. If you take away something, then you know what? That's just the way the ball goes up on the glass. You're going to fight. You try to get mid post and, you know, Bam's going to try to sweep the leg and get you off the, off your spot. So, look, I, I thought it was – it was now, it was chaotic. Some of the turnovers, you're like thinking, where are you going? Like, you know, like as coach, like, where are you going? <laughs> some of those turnovers, like, like, where are you? Like, both teams, the ball like, – but but it was high level competition, it was high stakes, great atmosphere, um, and grown man basketball. And there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, I'm all, I'm all in for it. And uh, and and I tell you, the thing is, all these kids coming out of college, all right? I'm not sure. Mo- like, who's ready for that? Like, like they're young. There's some good. But like, like winning, who's ready for that? Because like winning's hard, man, at that level. So I, I had a look. I had a blast watching that series. I really did. You know that's why I'm, I temper things. Like I remember when Porzingis came out, and you see the skill, and you're like, yeah, okay, but, but there's a guy like Jokic that doesn't look like anything who can really play because he knows how to play. This Victor named Yama or however you say his name. Go ahead. How about Jokic's hands and how soft his hands are? Oh. Ridiculous. It's unbelievable. Colin Powell. Uh, 
the other guy. What did Skip Bale say? Like he, 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 like you understand how good that is and how soft that dude's hands are. What does that dude think? Seth, when he he's when not- the ball touches the rim, it goes in. When his ball, oh. when he gets it, and he's at, oh. it, it goes in. A lot of guys spin out. Everything is spun like this, not like this. And it just goes in. I want to get to Jokic's 42nd pick in the draft. And I went back and looked at the draft. That Exum kid, Jabari Parker, was second. Look, I get it. There are always outliers. But to your point about young kids coming into the NBA, you just don't know because you don't know how hard a guy's going to work. And you don't know how hard a guy's going to slot. And you don't know with the heart of a guy to improve. Everybody's got great skill. But like Gabe Vincent, who the hell knew who Gabe Vincent was? And they're talking about he's the toughest dude in the NBA last night. Huh? Yeah. Hey, and Lucius Harris, Brian Russell. I mean, like my guys. That, but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's so many variables. I mean, look, you make mistakes, but you don't know. You're, you're right. Look, the NBA is the futures market. You know, like you don't know what's inside a guy's heart. What's his competitive spirit? Uh what his toughness is about. Is he in love with the game? Is he lost with his teammates? Is he Can he play with other good players? Does he play to win? Uh, is he willing to put in the work? I mean, like, you know, like, here's the deal. You're paying guys so much money. They're getting paid in college. They're getting paid, you know, so much money. Do they lose that drive? Are they, because if you're not in love with the game, you're not getting better. Can't be in love with the money. You got to be in That's love with right. the game. Last night's physicality was why I, whenever, whenever anybody asks me, how good will this guy be in the NBA? I always answer, I honestly don't know. Guys have made the NBA that I never thought would. I watched Duncan Robinson. Hell, Duncan was here when he didn't get drafted, hanging out on a damn boat with us. Now all of a sudden he's got 92 million because he fit in the right spots, got a lot of heart, uh, fit into a perfect team. That's why I say to people, I don't know. When somebody says, this guy's going to be a great pro. Okay, maybe so. I don't know. No, I agree. It's like uh, Kate Cunningham. Everyone thought, oh, so I never was a big Kate Cunningham fan. But, but I mean, look, you just, you don't know. I mean, this kid's really skilled. He's long. He's, uh, people are going to get into his legs. How is he going to deal with that? How's his, is his body going to hold up? You know, I think he's so long, he will be able to, you know, deal with that stuff. He can run. I don't, you know, it's a crapshoot. But, he, you know, he, he's fun. He's fun to watch. I mean, we'll see. I'm gonna. I'm doing draft on the radio with PJ Carlesimo. We'll laugh for him. No, oh, you guys would be unbelievable. That's must listen to radio. All right. You know, one of the things that came out of this, all these Kentucky dudes are playing great. So you know, Jamal Murray is every time Jamal Murray shoots the ball, I swear it's going in. Bam out of Bayou is really so. Of course, everybody's on Cal's ass. You are the defender of Cal. Kentucky fans, it don't matter what you say, Seth. Uh, guys that never played, never coach, have radio shows in Kentucky are always going to kill Cal unless he wins every national championship. That's just the way it is. But his players doing so well didn't help his cause with the fans. You know, like here's my thing. I. Again, I don't. I, I have no agenda, and like I, I don't. Oh, Cal, I'm going to go defend you. I just think that I read a couple of articles, and and I just think it's it's good. first of all, college basketball's changed, right? There are more good teams, more good players are spread out all over the country. That's just the way it is, all right. So, uh, but like it's hard to win. I don't care if you're Kentucky or not Kentucky. By the way, you practice facility stinks. Uh, but but yeah, he won 30 games and lost to St. Peter's. He had a great season in a bad game. 
Now you can't do that if you're Kentucky. But they won 30 freaking games that year. 30 games. Last year, I thought his team overachieved. I didn't think his roster was very good. All right? That's just the way it is. COVID year, they had no chance. Duke had no chance in the COVID year because you know what? Plain and simple, you know, with that many freshmen those years, you had no chance practicing an hour a day with your team separated. But like Calvin Skid had a coach. The game's passed us by. No, it hasn't. You know, uh, he lost players. Yeah, he lost players. Guys transferred. I mean, like, guys transferred from everywhere. Carolina lost players. Everyone loses players. I mean, guys stay in the draft. Because, you know, like a guy like Chris Livingston, who should have come back probably and bet on himself, didn't want to bet on himself. He listened to someone to probably tell him what he wanted to hear. And I like Chris Livingston. He's supposed to be a great kid. Cal loves the guy. Jacob Toppin probably should have come back. I mean, but you know what? You can't make a guy come back. And you can't, you know, like Oscar. Oscar's losing money going into But you know what? He made a decision. You know, supposedly the number that Oscar's agent wanted was $4 million. Cal's not going to do a collective. That's just, that's his belief. But the Kentucky guys and real NIL is great. I think they'll have a good team this year. It'll take some time, but they'll have a good team. But I wasn't like as much like I, I wouldn't say I protect coaches, but I understand how hard it is. And whether it's Cal or whether it's someone else, if I think there's something that's unrealistic, I'm going to stand up for it. I really don't care. Like, look, I'm 67 years old. Seth, I've been very, very fortunate yeah, to do what I do. I really don't care. Seth, I got to ask you, the collective thing, Indiana, Mike Woodson, they have a collective. It's very loud. I mean, these guys, Hoosier Hysterics, they have events for the collective, uh, which, so, so people understand, basically it's pay for play. Basically it's, hey, we're going to pay you to come here. Right. I mean, Woodson has said they said they asked Mike Woodson the other day about getting this kid that went to Duke to come to Indiana. They said, what do you recruit? Well, great institution. Great. One of the great basketball programs and the collective and NIL. That's what we recruit to. So that's just pay for play. Calipari doesn't do collectives. Why? He doesn't want to be owned by the people that paid into the collectives. I think that's the thing. You know, he's hard headed. Uh, he just, you know, he knows his guys are getting taken care of. But he can't promise anyone a certain amount of money because once they get there, they, you know, the market will bear out what it bears out, which is more than most, I'm sure, 90 percent of the schools in the country. But he's not going to walk and say, Dan, you know, uh, we're going to get you 500,000 a year or like what Miami did with Nigel Pack. We're going to give you 400,000 a year for two years. That's just not, uh, you know, I don't you know, it's it's an interesting thing because right? you know, everyone looks at Cal, Cal does this, Cal does that. Kentucky guys get taken care of, but. I just think the idea of uh, having someone think they own his team or own a player or are in debt, I just don't think, I guess he just doesn't believe in it. I mean, I, look, they're going to get good players. And I, here's the biggest thing is people say, oh, you know, they can't get anyone from the portal. Number one, if you have number one recruiting class in the country, you're not going to be very attractive to guys in the portal because guys in the portal want to go to what? Play and have a big role. Well, that team has really good players. They're going to look and say, well, is he going to bench DJ Wagner for me? Is he going to bench this guy for me? So it's got to be like the best portal situation where it's a right fit. And they're missing that guy. You look at Kentucky's roster, yeah, they don't have depth. And he's not promising anyone. Like, so he's not promising someone in the portal, you know, 30 minutes a game. He, he just doesn't do that. So I, I think they're not overly attractive for some of the guys. They're going to get Antonio Reeves back. That's my prediction. They'll get him back because they know that, you know, Antonio Reeves, again, there's a situation. Why would he come back? My gut feeling is because they need a shooting. And not that Antonio Reeves is the greatest player in the world, but he can make a shot. 
So he's going to have a role. So that's a fit. But, uh, you know, to me, that's just a plastic. So let me know. back up a second. Hold on a second. They did go to the portal to get Reeves, though. Reeves came from Illinois State on a $500,000 deal, allegedly. Yeah, now they're saying it was $85,000. But, um, but, but here's the deal. Sexier. Yeah, it does. But, but, yeah, because it was a fit. They needed a shot maker. It was a good fit. Like, instead of just, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, who, who do you, yeah. you know, if you have a the portal, I think, is an asset. If you don't have a need and just have to fill out the roster, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I, think, I think it'll be interesting. He Look, he's going to get players. He's going to get players. Be, I thought he did a great job right. coaching his team this year. Look, the days of Kentucky just dominating college basketball, Carolina dominating college basketball, UCLA dominating college basketball, Indiana dominating college basketball, uh, those were over. There are more good players going all over the country. Uh, and that, you know, and that's just the way it is. It's the way it is. More people are, are, are invested in college basketball. Uh, and I, I really – I'm going to go back. Hey, to one the, thing. They'll fill up your man. Go ahead. They'll fill up your mentions. What's that? Like, I, I, I oh, open God. up Twitter and it's like, like the little red dot, uh, blue dot on, on the, whatever that thing is. It, you know, it's like it's 400 and something. You know, like, great. I'm happy. I, I'm really not wasting any time worrying about what people are saying. Uh, it is what it is. It's a, look, I'm allowed to have an opinion. Everyone's allowed to have an opinion. That's the way it is. Seth, let me let me go back. Let me go back. I went through I went through the 2014 NBA draft. Uh, Andrew Wiggins number one, Jabari Parker number two, the Exum kid in there. It is fascinating because I can see why somebody looked at Jokic and said, "Yeah, I don't know, man. I I don't know. I don't know how this trend. We always talk about how it translates, right? I can see right. how somebody looked at how he moved, how he." Like, I don't know that this – I can see that in Jokic, no? It's our village, right? That guy that was – ended up number one by the uh, the Pistons, Larry Brown drafted, who ended up – I mean, but look, it's right. look, it's, an, an, an ex, it's an inexact science. I mean, again, there's so many different variables. That dude's the best like, – I, I tell you, the, big, the bigger travesty is that guy should have been player of the year, NBA player of the year this season. Oh, God, yes. I mean, and that's just that's just the truth. He's the best. He's the, he's the best player in the NBA, including LeBron, including Embiid, including anyone else you want to say, including Giannis. And how about the last four MVPs are all international players? I wanted to get into that with you. What do you make of that? I mean, those are unique, unique talents. There's no doubt about it. I mean. Uh, you know, I, th- I they're going to be good American players, but I think the, those guys have been the most impactful players. I do think that you look at Jokic, humble, hardworking, great attitude, great teammate. You look at Giannis, humble, hardworking, great attitude, great teammate. And, like, I don't know Embiid well enough. He's a little dramatic for me. But, but he, you know, he obviously he's had a lot of injuries and continued to work and come back. So, uh been on some dysfunctional teams. So I, I don't know. I mean, look, you got to be in love with to be great. You got to be in love with the game. That's, that's my, that's my whole thing. If you're not in love with the game, lost in the game, and you're not a good teammate, you're, you, I don't care how good you are. You're not going to be great. 
You know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know what? The American kid is entitled. The American kid always looking for what's next. They're always looking, you know, the brand instead of a tunnel vision. I don't know. I think that's too general. But you do got to admit, man, if I was, huh? Easy. That's an easy narrative. I don't think, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay I agree. Me neither. But, but yeah. people are, because of what you just said, because of what Jokic said after the game, but I, I argue this. I argue nobody is more selfless than Steph Curry. You can t- put LeBron James in there. No one's more selfless than LeBron James. I argue that the best teams have selfless players, great players, but they come together because of their selflessness more than just somebody's from here and somebody's from here. I agree with that. I, I, and, and they're about winning. Yeah. Like it sounds, yeah. I, I, I make a big deal about someone being about winning. But not everyone's about winning. It's just the way it is. I mean, it's just the way that that's the biggest thing. Like, like you look at the Denver Nuggets, Bruce Brown. He's he's about winning. He made winning. That putback, that that putback was huge. That was huge. How about him playing the passing lane on Butler's turnover? Huge. You know, Michael Porter, who kind of people pigeonholed it. What do you have? 12, 13 rebounds yesterday? So he found ways to impact winning. Like, you don't always impact winning by scoring. There's a lot of ways to impact winning. And that's I, I, that's the thing that I think, you know, is the variable in the whole thing. Hey, D-squared, I got to run here because I got to go make a flight and get home. Go ahead. No, go. Get. Thank you, you are for the, the time. Man. I know you were speaking today. Thanks, brother. Is going to the Bahamas to uh, for his bachelor party. And I told him he needs to go and be baptized like I got you baptized on the 17th hole. I can't argue. I, I, I took off my shoes. He beat me. He beat me into religion, people. The man beat me into religion. Go catch your flight. One of the great comebacks of all time. Yes, it was. I crapped the bet again in golf. But Seth beat me so bad. Thank you, Seth. He beat me so bad. I took off my shoes and my socks. I climbed the fence, and I went into the water, and I doused myself. He, 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 and uh, I think it was Tom, uh, Tom Hart, the announcer, were looking at me like, what are you doing? I go, hey, look, he beat me in. The, I got to baptize myself. I got to cleanse myself. I came out. I was all wet. I'm like, I don't care. It was the Bahamas. I dried off quickly, but I told him, I got to baptize. You beat me into religion is what Seth Greenberg did. Oh, capesta, my eyes are burning. What do we got for Wokado? What a great day. What a fun day. Uh, thank you, Nick. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Davey. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, everybody, for all the help. What do we got woke doping today? Let's doka-wopa. Oh, yeah, whiteness is a pandemic because some African-American guy's mad about it. Yes, whiteness is a pandemic. Yes, yes, yes. Blah, 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 blah. Whiteness is a pandemic. You can't be white. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, well, you didn't even read it, Dan, before you made fun of You're exactly right. Kiss my ass with that. You know, I'm so tired of that crap. The root. Whiteness is a pandemic. Yes, it is, because some dude with a beard, Damon Young, says, you know what? Whiteness is a pandemic. Whiteness is a public health issue. Shortens life expectancy. Pollutes air. Constricts. It kiss my ass. Seriously. 
You know, no more genuflecting to this nonsense. No more genuflecting to this stupidity. No more being afraid to comment because you'll be called a racist. Damon, kiss my ass. A lot of great things come out of whiteness. A lot of great things come out of blackness. Just shut the living hell up. We've got the greatest country in the history of the world. Much of it has to do with blackness. Much of it has to do with whiteness. Much of it has to do with legal immigrants. Not much of it has to do with jackass presidents who don't know their backside from third base and even less has to do with illegal immigrants. So kiss my ass. You put some fake glasses on. You wear a beard. You look all solemn and we're supposed not reading your crap, your racist crap. Good for you. Right, you're right. Do your thing. And I just pubbed you. I just gave you some publicity to your piece of crap article and your racist ways. Go to hell. So tired of it. So tired of it. And I hope you are too. And it's okay to speak up against this kind of racism. It is. I'm sorry, but it is. Write your articles. Call me a racist. Call me phobic. I do not care even a little bit. Not even a little. Whiteness is a pandemic. I'm surprised you didn't go like this. Like all these journalists do, like he's thinking, kiss my ass with your fake glasses. Who's next? Drive you nuts. Whiteness is a pandemic. It pollutes. Ask not why the children shouldn't see drag queens. Ask why drag queens crave the audience of children. This might be the best thing ever written. We've talked about this on this show. So I wake up one day. And I'm a drag queen. I'm like, you know what I want to do? I'm going to have my Cheerios. I'm going to grab some oatmeal. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put on my rack, put on my fake vajayjay, put on my tight tights. And you know what I feel like? I feel like twerking in front of kids. I feel like having a little six-year-old tuck a buck in my crotch. You're telling me that's not a mental health issue? You're telling me that's not sickness? You're telling me that's not pedophilia? That's what you're telling me. That's what you're saying to me. You wake up and you decide, hey, I want to twerk in front of children. I don't give a damn. Go to a club and twerk. Go to a bar and twerk. Do your thing, man. Tuck a buck. Uh, 21 and over. Let's go. But why children? And if you don't think that's a sickness, then you might be sick too. It's time we stand up a little bit. Ask not why children shouldn't see drag queens. Ask why drag queens crave the audience of children. Why do you, drag queenie? Well, they need to know that we're not dangerous. No, they don't need to know anything. No, why, really? Sit down on the couch, lay down, and let's get to the root of the problem. You got a thing for kids? And if you do, you're, you're a pedophile. I mean, there's all kinds of statistics on all kinds of different things about pedophilia. Look them up. I'm not going to get into them because I don't have them right here in front of me. But look them up. What's next? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Let me clear my throat. <laughs> I got to tell you. Hillary's looking better. Not really. I think Hillary looks a lot better. I mean, those eyes need a little work, but hey, my daughter got uh, some eye things she gave them to me because I got a little puff under one of these eyes. Let me look down here and see. Yeah, I got some puff. 
Hillary, let's puff those eyes up. And George Soros and Hillary Clinton are basically the same person. And by the way, I want it said, ladies and gentlemen, I am not suicidal. I am not. So I know every single time you make fun or discuss the Clintons in a negative way, a lot of people end up in the morgue. I want it very clear, very open, very clear. I am not suicidal. So if I show up on a park bench a la Vince Foster, or if I show up in my jail cell a la Jeffrey Epstein, I want it to be known. It is not a suicide. It's not. It's not. I'm just telling you. I may wear a body cam. Seriously, I may wear a body cam just to make damn sure all the time that whatever happens to me, I may wear a little pe- Like I got a, uh, I got a fake hip. Why can't I put a little camera chip right here poking out of my middle here that no one can see? It looks like a mole. That when they come for me for making fun of Clintons, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Otter Creek says that looks like Satan. Who's your daddy? Scary. Michael, scary. Linda SD, ugh. <laughs> Dan, why don't you complain about Asian people? I'm not complaining about anybody. I'm just complaining about people that want to twerk in front of children. And if you don't like it, I don't care. You can get mad at me, glad at me, whatever you want to do. Whatever you got to do, I'm in. I'm just saying. Boom. You're right. You do just wind up Seth Greenberg and let him go. I need golfers, Otter Creek and Sean Black. Thank you. I need foursomes in my golf outing. Please, God. I do. I need foursomes. I'm getting desperate here. Not really, but, you know, I want as many as we can possibly have. We're having a maximum 32. I got to look on Wednesday and see how many we got. But I need foursomes, period. More and more and more. And there's no reason to go anywhere other than right here on OutKick. We had a monster day today. And you guys on the YouTube chat, thank you. Spread the word. We want to, with McAfee leaving and going to ESPN, we want to replace him in the hundreds of thousands we started at about two grand on YouTube. Now we're basically at 13 grand, 10 to 13 grand every day, which puts us in the upper 10%. Anyway, long story short, I want everybody to have a great day. And also, I must say thank you to all of you that reached out and uh, after I gave a tribute to my mother in law, whether it was on YouTube or whether it was on uh, Facebook or Twitter. I want to say thank you all for the nice comments. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's been tough. Lee Ross, as you would expect, has been an absolute trooper. She's coming home this afternoon. I'm speaking over at the district tap to a group of CEOs tonight, and then I'm probably going to stay there and play trivia over at the district tap on 87. I'm going on a cleanse, people. Join me. I'm on day three. No snacks, no alcohol. I looked at my fat ass and I went to the hospital and I saw Lee's cousins in the hospital. I got to get healthy. I've lost some weight, but I got to get healthy. The snacks are killing me. And the, every night when I have a glass of wine or two, then I get into the pretzels. So this is diet 9,722. And by the time you see me at my golf outing, I hope to be down 18 pounds, 18 more to 228. And by the way, you racist fools, it was okay for the white man to vote for Yokovich, the white media man to vote for Yokovich last night, no matter what you say. Kendrick Perkins, no matter what you say, Stephen A. Smith, no matter what you say. 
all you clowns out there. It was okay. My Serbian brother got it done. Have a great afternoon. We'll talk tomorrow.